Hey friends, this is your friend Kyle Coleman, and I want to welcome you to Are We Still Friends, the podcast where I dig into brains of fascinating friends. Oftentimes, I haven't gotten to catch up with these friends in a while, and like we all do, I sometimes wonder, are we still friends? My very first friend on this podcast is a dear, dear friend, Jocelyn Brady. Jocelyn is a writer, speaker, and professional brain jostler who thrives at the intersection of comedy, storytelling, and unraveling the mysteries of the human brain. When she's not being the Bill Nye of the brain, as the creator of her series Tiny Tips, Jocelyn applies her certified brain coaching chops to help creative visionaries play to their brain's greatest potential. Her first book, Your Brain is a Magical Asshat, is slated for publication in 2022. Did you get my email? I saw that you emailed. Yeah. There was nothing important in it anyway. (laughs) I started writing it and I was just like... I have nothing. I Great. Have nothing. Yeah. So this is a total blank slate. I'm going to put most of the load on you. Uh, this is mostly your responsibility to get us through this podcast. All right. Let's just start with, with how we met, and then we'll go backwards from there, and then we'll jump into the future. All right. So you and I met, as I met everybody I know, through <laughs> through improv, which is going to be a recurring thing on this, is that that's when my life started, and <laughs> now that's where I know everybody from. So... I've gotten to hear a little bit in the past about why you started, but do you want to give us a little a little recap of what got you into that world? Yeah, so I guess the first thing that I, the thing I tell people I remember is I had to I was asked to I started my company in 2008 and I was I started as a writer. Just like, can I just make a living uh writing and not being seen and just hide behind my screen and um that was after I got quit from the agency, uh, a longer story. And that was going pretty well. And it started to grow much faster than I, I had no plan. I was like, I don't oh, this isn't a business. What? I have to get a license and I have to do taxes and what? This is a lot of things. And eventually, um, I guess the lesson is don't get good at <laughs> what you're doing. Cause I got very good at it. And then the people I was working for, the is eventually the chief marketing officer, like very high up at these companies. And, They'd say, hey, come out and do training. Like, you've written all this stuff. You've written our brand voice guidelines. You've written how to tell better better stories. Now come train people on how to do that. And that was mortifying. Like, exciting, but also like, oh, my God, I have to go speak in front of people. And I've had this major anxiety, social anxiety, forever. As a kid, if I was called on in class, I would shrink into as small as I could. And, you know, face would go red. I'd want to cry. My voice would stammer and my heart was racing. And I just, I wanted to die. So that happened when I went out to public and, you know, um, talking to people in a room, uh, these people from agencies and from the companies. And oh, man, the the first time I went out to New York, I got so nervous. I just I got sick. I had hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. So the way I like to say it is my brain stories, my BS was a literal pain in the ass. <laughs> and um, oh, man, it was horrible. So I, you know, that and then I felt like sick. I was throwing up. My hair was falling out. Jeez. Yeah, it was crazy. It was just super intense. And I it was like that. I don't enough from going and speaking to people. This is insane. You know, like I could, I could have conversations with humans in real life or as a bartender or, you know, just out in the world. But in that setting, I just felt claustrophobic and terrified. And that's when I thought, okay, the scariest thing I can imagine is going out in front of people and not knowing what to say. I'll sign up for improv. Mm -hmm. And that's when I signed up for Marilyn's class. And, uh, I just remember that, (laughs) driving out there that night with my uh, that 
Land Rover. I love that car. I miss it. <laughs> and I, the whole time, just palms are sweating and, you know, heart pounding and like, what? Think of every excuse on earth to get out of this. How can I get out of this? How can I get out of this without anyone knowing that I am uh, uh, whiny and scared? And <laughs> just like, I'm sick. Uh, my, my cat's dying of cancer. Oh, shit. That already happened twice. Um, don't happen. <laughs> don't knock on wood. Uh, and yeah, just up until a few moments after walking through that door, I was just thinking, how can I get out of it? And she, Marilyn was the best introduction to improv I can imagine having. Um, also, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked about her, so it's kind of choking yeah. up. But yeah. um, man, that gentleness and all-encompassing, like you just felt like you were walking into a hug when you walked into that room. And immediately all of that stuff, all of those feelings, the tension, the anxiety just melted away. And I had so much fun. Time flew. And by the end of it, I was like, I'm more. How do I get more of this? And that turned into four years of taking improv. And that's kind of, yeah, that's how that's how that the the what do you call the inciting incident was hemorrhoids. (laughs) (laughs) If you can sum it up in a word. Yeah. Hemorrhoids. Do you remember, as you were telling that, I was thinking, do you remember as a child whenever you were getting so just worked up and so tense? And do you remember why that started, where that started, like how old or was it just kind of always present for you? Because I'm in the same boat. It was as a kid, I was just it was like, do not talk to me. Do not look at me, because if I have to respond, I'm going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do know, so public speaking, I know, is one of the top fears. People say it's a bigger fear than death, and which we'll get to, mm-hmm. and spiders. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't remember. I mean, I guess my parents tell me when it was show and tell. So my parents split when I was seven, but up until then, they were together, and I had a show and tell assignment for class. And apparently, I went to my parents and, and the teacher. I think I just went to the teacher and told her I wasn't doing it. I brought my object and I was like, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. (laughs) And it's like most of our defense mechanisms. You don't want to do something because you're scared of it. So you just say it's stupid. Disregard that when I say anything stupid in the future. And I don't like I have a vague memory of that. But my mom tells me it's like not doing it. Don't have to explain. And then but but my more um, immediate memory or something I, you know, actually remember is fifth grade when I had to present I had to we had to write an autobiography and bring it to class and I loved writing loved it hated sharing my work with people or like don't look at me when I'm sharing it or use a pseudonym or something and I poured my heart into writing this thing and the day came to present it and I just was I started crying and I couldn't do it and the guy the guy who went before me his name's Doug and he was from Texas. I grew up in Hawaii, so this is in Hawaii. And he's like this implant from Texas with his Texas swagger and accent. He was so cool. You know, he's like, ah, goes up to the front of the class. It was what December 1st, 1982, when God's gift to the world entered the planet. Which is such a generic line. But to me, it was like, oh, my God, he's so smart. And he's so good at performing. And I can't follow this. And I went to the teacher and I just said, I can't do it. I I was like tears streaming down my face. And she's like, well, you're going to fail this part of the assignment if you don't do it. Are you sure you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I can't. I went to my desk and I hid like in my, you know, the crevice of my arm the whole time. Um, So that is a very distinct memory. 
but I don't know, you know, like exactly where it came from. Sure. I think um, probably part part of when your parents split, when you go through divorce when you're young, is a very traumatic experience. If you don't understand it, if your parents aren't really talking about it, you have no idea what happened. So you develop this fear of disappointing people or, th- you know, this internalized notion of if I do... if. I must be bad to cause this thing to happen for people to leave and not like me. All of this distorted thinking. So maybe it's, I don't know, I'm not a psychologist. I just study brains. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask if in your now studying, and we'll get to that in just a second of what you're doing now, is have you done much much of your research on sort of developing brains, like younger brains? Because a lot of what I've seen is kind of, you know, a, as an adult, here's how to get through your BS, how to how to deal with this. Have you looked at a lot of, you know, where that comes from type information? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with the research. I just don't present as much of the root or, um, you know, the difference. So I work as one of the things I do is brain coaching. And that's looking at forward. Like, how do you get through something? How do you solve a problem? How do you create something versus people who specialize in digging into where does this come from? Why does it happen? That's not my area of expertise. It's not something I'm not a trained, you know, psychologist or therapist or counselor. I do. I've seen a lot of them and um, and do study that stuff uh, to some extent. But I think I think what's more important to me uh, than answering why did that happen? Why do I feel that way is, okay? that happened here I am. What am I going to do about it? It's like if you have a, a tree and it's rotting at the root, you want to address it, right? But also the tree is, is aiming for the light and getting the most, the ma- maximizing sunlight and nutrients. It's a, it's a complicated system. So I'm more like, how do I reach the sunlight? And somebody else can figure out the problems or the address the roots because that's like much harder to me. COVID happened. Mm-hmm. You quit your job. You quit your company, basically. <laughs> I quit myself. You quit yourself. Yeah, I got quit by me. <laughs> Is that, would that be an accurate statement? Is that you just sort of hit a point where you're like, you know what, I need to do something different? Kind of. I mean, it was around 2019, I started getting very bored and disillusioned. Um, And what am I, like, what am I doing? I built this thing, you know, I built by external standards, a successful business that was doing really well. It was like multiple six figures. I had a whole team. I loved them. They were great. Um, It became this thing where people were doing working on projects. I didn't even know what people were working on anymore. It was like true CEO level. And I, and I really resisted that really resisted calling myself a CEO, calling myself an agency. I had a lot of mm, thoughts around that. Like I didn't want to be that. And then here I was like, okay, now I have all this work and I don't love this work anymore. It's not exciting. I don't really believe in a lot of like, I don't care about telling this brand story so much as how are these people's brains working and what's going on and how do you, I loved storytelling, but to what end, right? Is it to sell more pizza? I I never worked on a pizza account, but um, you know, just like, what am I, what am I doing with this skill? I loved writing because I loved the, the art of it and the creativity of it and changing minds to whatever degree I could making someone laugh or think about something differently. So I was wondering how, yeah, to what end am I wielding this this tool and these skills that I've chiseled over, you know, 15 years? 
And then COVID, and I was like, how do I say no to projects I no longer want? Because now I feel like I'm feeding a team. And then COVID came along and was like, I got that. I got the solution for you. All the contracts. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of happened. And that's when I had a choice. I could keep, I could fight to keep this alive and, and fight to find more. I knew how to do it by now, you know, fight, find more contracts, reach out, do all that. I had absolutely no desire or interest to do that. I was like, okay, this chapter over next. That's so cool that you're able to do that after 15 years, right? Of 15 years of running the business. Yeah. Like scribe was 13. Yeah. Scribe turned 13. 13. In, I guess, 22. When did I start this? So 2008 is when I started it, but I'd been, you know, writing before that. Yeah. But that's so great that you were able to just let go of it because I think that's something that so many people would just say, I've invested so much time. It's all I'm going to do. I can't let it go. I can't let this thing become less than it is. Yeah. And And you're like, why? Like, what is this thing that you're saving or protecting? What am I holding on to? Yeah. If it's not making you happy anymore, why are you still doing it? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, that I wanted to do this podcast about is you and so many other people that I know have taken those steps that I know a lot of other people haven't in saying, I'm done with that (laughs) and I'm going to move on. So getting to see you follow what your passion is is so important and so inspiring and so cool to just be like, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life now. I'm going to make it happen. And then that's what you are helping other people do too. Yeah. Meta. Right. So I like to live. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also I think sometimes I get stuck on that word passion. Like I think it's, um, some people feel like, well, I don't know what my passion is or how do I find what that is? And so I would sometimes caution with that word and say, follow up. What's your curiosity? Mm. What are you interested in? What can you get lost researching or discovering or playing around with that? Follow that. Right. And that's what you are. A lot of people are coming to you to do. So give me a little higher level overview of what you are doing now. Oh, it's a lot of things. Uh, So yeah, the brain coaching part of it is working with people for the most for the trend of the people I've been working with are people who've fallen out of love with what they're doing and trying to figure out what their next steps are. And these people have either a lot of people in strategy and uh, have done, you know, branding work and writing, you know, the creative side, the business creative side of things. So I think a lot of those people come to me because they can relate to, you know, like we have, we share that background. We've done a thing that wields our creative skills in a way that we no longer desire to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, okay, what, what do I do next? How do I rediscover this like joy, playfulness, childlike curiosity, wonder, um, energy, and just have more fucking fun? Cause there's so much hardship. Life is hard and there's things that happen all the COVID, um, you know, fires, death, rage and rampage and, presidents all kinds of stuff that pisses us off and drives us crazy and is confusing so how how can you maintain some kind of sanity and find something that brings you joy and equanimity amidst all of the turbulence um so it's you know and that could be for someone as simple as i've just always wanted to write um a young adult fiction or I just, I have this, this app idea that's been circulating, like r- I've been ruminating on for 10 years and I've never put it out there. I've never even wireframed it. And it's like, okay, let's just make that thing happen. So it's as much about 
finding that thing and, and sometimes there's a quote tangible output like okay you have a book but the more important thing is you know how to deal with your own brain your own thoughts your own reactions you have a little more thoughtfulness and can reframe and you know instead of getting hemorrhoids you can laugh about being silly and not saying <laughs> the right thing right so is it fair to say then that you are giving people the confidence to do that thing that they wanted to do and you're also guiding them in that curiosity path of figuring out what it is they want to do. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. I, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm giving people confidence. It they find it on their own. Yeah, it's just encouraging people to trust themselves. And um, I don't. Yeah, they, it's always about co- in my philosophy on it. I was trained with the Neuro Leadership Institute, which is like looking at the neuroscience, uh, neurological neuroscience underpinnings of thinking and behavior. And then I got really into behavioral science and, and psychology and kind of how all these things intersect. And the framing of that is I'm not doing, I don't do the work. I do nothing. I just sit here and ask you questions and nudge and poke when I see, if I see, you know, if you're, if it looks like you're shutting down or you're going into an old pattern or an old loop or you're self-sabotaging, that's where I come in and go, Hey, wait a minute. Look at, look at what you just said. Just sit with that for a second and see how, do you want to feel this way? You, right. Let's, how do we redirect it? And so it's me just serving as a compass or a guide and saying, look over here. And then they decide. Yeah. So you, you're just helping facilitate their, their brain. Yeah. That's really cool. Brain facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. Brain whisper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, are there any any other big projects that you have found especially fascinating or something that somebody's currently working on that you're involved with? What well, that brings to mind okay, this podcast mm-hmm. talking to you and you're I think I asked a silly question on, on Instagram, like what what do you want to do before you die, maybe? Yeah. I like to talk about deathbed you a lot. Oh, we'll get to that. And <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think that's what I think you said something to the effect of I've always wanted to do this podcast and will you be my guest. And I was like, fuck yeah. If I have any role in motivating anybody to take that step, that is that. So this project I would consider like one, I have one small role in, in the catalyst, you know, or just sort of going, Hey, remember how you just waking that up? Um, a friend of mine who, uh, wanted to pursue photography mm-hmm. and get out of wedding photography and do actually, you know, Matthew ex-boyfriend, yes. I say yes. friend, but, um, yeah, a friend of mine, I remember talking to him in, when was that? Probably May or June of 2020. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't, I feel, I feel like compelled to pick up my camera and and do something. And I was like, go downtown, go see what's going on right now with the, um, you know, protests. Yeah. And he did that. And now, you know, got Look into Reuters and all the big news outlets and um, doing really well with that. It's just, you know, one conversation can have such a big influence. And that's what I would say to people. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to be trained in anything. If you are, if your motivation is to encourage someone to do the thing that lights them up, one conversation can make such a huge difference. Yeah, that and I'm particularly proud of a neuroscientist came to me and said, hey, can you help me tell better who's, who's looking to get a new um, position, new job, moving out of academia into uh, corporate work. And he just said, I, uh, you know, I love what you're doing. And it made me feel very smart. Like, mm-hmm. cause I really painfully, I'm not a, tr- I'm not a neuroscientist, but I, I'm obsessed with it. You know, it's like, I'll, I don't think I'll ever understand how to use all of this terminology correctly. And I'll never remember it all. I haven't been, you know, I- immersed in a 
four to six year program or looked at real brains and asterisk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, to have a neuroscientist come and say, I like what you're putting out there. I like what you're doing. I love how you tell stories. I know that you can help me figure out how to tell my stories about stuff I've done in neuroscience to get this job. So, right. And so you are sort of being that, that filter, that lens that does get that information from somebody who's more technical and more educated, you know, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I always like, I wish I could be a universal translator. That is so attractive to me. I wish yeah. I could speak all of the languages. I say that and then I haven't put in a lot of work in like studying a lot of languages. I'm interested in so many things. It's, it's hard sometimes to keep focus. Um, but, you know, if I had many lifetimes or if I didn't require sleep, um, I would be learning also all the languages. But I, that we all want to be understood. And that is super important. So when you get really deep in a, a world that has a lot of jargon, you've spent a lot of time learning that. So you can communicate in a different language than the rest of us. But then how do you translate that back to people who haven't been exposed to all of that? I think of that. What is, um, if you can't explain it to a six year old, you don't understand it well enough. Or if you can't explain it simply, don't understand it well enough. Right. Like Einstein saying, I like to, um, flap around in corporate circles, especially Einstein said it. So listen to me, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. If you can't, explain it simply you'd have more work to do to really get it if you can't break it down and turn it into an analogy or something that a child can understand more to be done yeah well speaking of children how is the corporate world uh in terms of working with them like i have heard mixed things on sometimes they're super receptive they want to change and other times they're so set in their ways as an adult business person, mm -hmm. um, what kind of resistance are you running into? What kind of, and on, on the positive note, what kind of great things are they, are they stepping up and doing? Like, how are they getting outside their comfort zone? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's, it's so contingent on the culture that's being developed um, in the company. So you have a lot of companies that claim they want to change or they want to be more creative or they want to be, um, you know, better stewards to the environment or to human beings, and they don't actually want that. It just, it's a good PR move. And you could tell, it's like you can't, you can't change someone's behavior unless they want to change it. You can't, this is I'm yes. part of this, the Tiny Habits training program too, just to add more layers. Uh, and BJ Fogg, who wrote Tiny Habits and leads the training, says you, he, his philosophy on changing behavior through habits is you have to start with a habit somebody actually wants to do. You can't force it because it just won't work. And sometimes it backfires. For example, if you, if somebody wants to be flossing, then you, you use the methodology of the tiny habits, right? Like you, after you brush your teeth, you floss one tooth. You make it so small, you could do it under two minutes. If they don't actually want to be flossing, they might start forgetting to brush their teeth because their brain is, your brain is very good at helpfully forgetting things you don't want to be doing. And it's like, oh, shit. And then you start backsliding because you're trying to force something. You don't understand yet. You have no connection to the, the value of it or the motivation isn't there. You're trying to force a thing to put yourself into you. Like, I think I should do that. But you don't want it. And that's a whole other conversation of how do you want something you don't want. <laughs> like, like, yeah. But back to the corporations is like okay, you kind of start to see if somebody is truly receptive to changing, they'll be they start opening up to it they'll um actually right now working on a project 
uh, with a big company on behavior change, and they want to develop this habits program. And it so far, I was really resistant to it because I had been um, ever since, you know, saying no to scribe and that, that the COVID change. I was like, I'm not working with corporations anymore, or at least I'm not writing for anyone anymore. I'm not outsourcing those skills in that way. But when an old contact came and said, hey, we want to develop this program to change behavior, I was like, oh, so you're coming to me because now you know what I want to be doing. It's blending my skills of, you know, this coaching and behavior change with how do you tell the story and um, get it out there. And they have so far been so amazing. They're just so receptive to it. They said, yeah, make it fun, make it playful, make it bold. And so far they've meant it. So that was a very long-winded maybe answer to your question. No, that's great. And I and I do wish I would have, I think what I would have preferred to ask was, what differences do you see between working with an individual and working with a corporate environment mm. in terms of getting that change to happen and that motivation Um because it, it, it's got to be easier to sit down with one person and, and change their course versus sitting down with a team of you know executives and being like, this is how you're going to change your company culture. And yeah, yeah. they all to they all to agree. They all to agree on what they're agreeing to. Mm-hmm. It's like because you can say, let's make people um, more proactive. OK, what's that mean to you? Let's make people better storytellers. What's that mean to you? Some people might think that means. Uh, impress me in the meetings, <laughs> you know, right. I'm bored in meetings. So make your presentations better. Some people might think that means make your emails, you know, make sense <laughs> or uh, make marketing or advertising, uh, you know, more compelling. So it's just like, re- you have to really be clear on what is the thing that you want to do. And do you all actually want this? Cause if anybody here doesn't, it's going to affect the outcome. Mm-hmm. It won't work. Uh, or that person has to <laughs> leave, you know, or yeah. That's the equivalent of not wanting to floss is if they don't truly mean that they want to change their corporate culture, you're probably going to even have some regression in things as people push away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yikes. Yeah. Fly in the Vaseline or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So that is what you've been doing. What I know you were working on a book. How is that going? <laughs> Help. Uh, I have a really good, I have a great book coach, Vicky, and Vicky Quinn Frazier, and I'm in her book coaching program. And that's been huge in um, community and accountability. But also I've had a couple of big um, projects come in that, you know, it's always weighing. Like right now the book is a long term. I'm doing it because I want to be doing it. It's not yeah. keeping my lights on, mm-hmm. you know. The other stuff is, and it's also fulfilling and it's in, they're all fulfilling in their own ways. So I am struggling with keeping up on it. So try to take my own advice. Sometimes this is why you need a fucking coach, man. It's like, I can't, I'll be like, yeah, I'm writing this thing. And then I'll tell people if they're writing a thing, write one sentence. And then I'm like, "Uh, what? I don't want to write. I'm going to go weed the garden. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm going to look at the dishes and pretend I'm going to wash them. It's like, what can I do? Anything, anything, but, but the thing. Um, but I have been trying. It's like if I, you know, I'll, I'll just like write down a word if I'm feeling stuck. So my progress feels very slow at the moment. Um, but, but I'm focusing on just don't let it stop and dry up, you know. 
But yeah, it's I originally had this aggressive goal of having a draft by my birthday by June. Um, and uh, no, that's I don't know why I was getting very stressed out about it. I'm like, this is a, I made this up. This is an arbitrary deadline. It's very helpful to have deadlines, but not when you're feeling crushed under the pressure. Um, so yeah, this still the working title. Your brain is a magical asshat because <laughs> it makes me laugh. My dad had questions about the title. It's like, <laughs> it's like I get magical uh, brain. I get I get ass. I get what the word ass means. I think, but asshat. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, it's sl- it's slang. It's funny. It's funny. Trust me. It's you're not the audience. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, don't read it. I'll have, then I'll have more to say. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, this is like, speaking of my dad, he'll be mortified uh, if he hears this because um, my he always says, print the legend. Like, don't write about the bad stuff. Print the legend. Yeah. Make them think, let them see the good parts. So with that said, uh, he, <laughs> he he made this comment. So like my, my parents are wonderful. They're huge supporters. They're super, um, and, you know, we put out these videos, the Tiny Tips videos, and they're like, re- they're great about it. And um and I'm really, really fortunate to have to have parents like them. But one comment from from my dad is he saw my last video and I had like this. You can probably even still see it. I have like a, a peel lip and it was very apparent that day. And I recorded anyway and I saw it and I was like, oh, man, I'm just going to like not focus on that's the only thing I can see. Just fucking put it out there, you know. And um the one comment he had was like, oh, I'm really distracted by your lipstick. It looks like you have chunks of lipstick that you just didn't smooth out. It's like, I don't, this is called excoriation disorder, father. It, uh, don't be jealous. And I've picked that up um, again during COVID. So what that is, is it's skin picking disorder. Mm-hmm. And I used to be so embarrassed about it. And I would try, you know, kind of cover it up how any, however I could. And it's literally, I pick my lips, like just not even thinking or like I'm in the middle of something and I'll and I I sometimes even like notice I'm doing it and I'm like don't do that and then I'm like no I'm gonna keep doing that it's so satisfying it's so it's so it's not a healthy behavior I've talked to my therapist about it and she's like well it's not you know you're not going insane over it. it's not infringing on your life it's just like kind of a nervous tick it's related or can be associated with OCD and ADHD uh, anxiety it's just things that we do some people pick at their nails or bite their nails so mine is a visible fucking annoying thing where like i pick my lips yay so i picked that up again during covid we'll see how long it lasts um but yeah i thought about doing a video on both things one what happens when you feel like your family is your biggest troll (laughs) and i was like i don't want to make them feel bad so don't listen to this parents and the second was um just talking about excoriation disorder because I have experience with it and, and why we do it and treatments that have been um, uh, effective or that they've been experimenting on and kind of just more, the bigger point is that we all have these things that we do that maybe we're embarrassed about. And we all, many of us have mental, uh, even calling it illness feels wrong, but um, you know, or even disorders doesn't feel like ADHD and OCD and anxiety and depression and bipolar two and, a lot of people are discovering that they have these conditions that can feel very embarrassing to talk about. And I just was like, I want to like normalize this. Like, you know, you might not want to be doing this, but it's, it's okay. You're human. And this is the way you've been dealing with it. Right. No, I'm all about that. It's, I, I love to let people know what's wrong with me (laughs) because it's like, it just, it's, it, 
is diffusing and and it's also just everything about destigmatizing any of that stuff is is what I'm about and there was a comedian I used to listen to a podcast of who I will not name because they've gone completely right wing crazy oh. it's not okay uh, but in that similar vein my wheels are turning oh yeah oh. oh yeah yeah he's gone nuts it's really sad like he was he was always problematic but at least he was fun and put on a good product and then he just went fucking mm. nuts it's like he got he got mean about it yeah yes he got he got weird he got completely contradicting everything that he stood for before and has just gone into like full Ron DeSantis fan basically mm. um yeah sad but um I'll cut all that out uh <laughs> Or I'll start a feud with him. That, yeah. that could, that could. This is the I hate <laughs> show. That's the new name. Uh, but one thing that I always loved that he used to say was, I wish we would have a president that came out of therapy every Sunday instead of church and was just like, I had a really good session. Here's what I worked on. Here's the things that I'm dealing with. Mm. What are you dealing with? Yeah. And just letting it be normal. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm... Yeah, and because a lot of it you don't see. So much of the things we're struggling with internally, there's no way to see it. You just can't. We could see it many places in Portland if you're walking down almost any street now. Um, but the, the mental illness is something we can no longer uh, avoid seeing. It's everywhere. And like the homeless problem that's intertwined with mental illness. And like, I don't think there's a clear solution, but at least if we can normalize it with everyday people and, and with the next generation, hopefully that has some positive effect where we can prevent bigger problems like that from happening. Totally. So April 1st. Yes. Today. Uh, I just re-released. So on April 1st um, of 2020, as many of us, we were feeling very, what is the world? Yeah. Just like crazy confused chaos people losing jobs like what is happening the shutdowns what do, is, do we travel do we mask what is what it was so early right so trying to grapple with this and um and i reflected on that day on how april 1st 1990 was when we got the news that we had to evacuate our house me and my dad when we moved uh, was seven when we moved together after my parents split to the big island of hawaii and we had to move out of the house because the lava was coming to eat our house so we were homeless and went to a homeless shelter um before getting back on our feet and that and then from there on out i was raised on welfare so i was reflecting on all of this april 1st 2020 because i was watching people lose their jobs and trying to figure out what it, you know we're we're um i don't know if can i use the word slavery economic slavery or it's just like where we are tethered to the notion here that employment is how you get health insurance which is so whack and uh and watching millions of people losing their jobs and what they thought was security because of our twisted narrative you know it was like a million and then two million and then six million and then seeing how that but what about the economy you know from the powers that be and it's like you are so what is happening to what do we what are what are humans <laughs> like what what do we want to be and who do we want to be and stop pointing the finger at people who thought they were doing something good for themselves and their family 
in their communities. And now they're scared as hell because they don't have any, they don't feel like they have any options. They don't have anywhere to go. They're on the verge of homelessness. They're living paycheck to paycheck. If you're okay with talking about it, yeah, that is an interesting way to grow up. That is really hard to be put into that. So it was April 1st was like, get out of your house. Yeah. And then where did you go from that? So straight to a homeless shelter. Yeah. Um, it was actually a And you a were how old? You were seven. seven. Yeah, and I had, it, so it was uh, January was when I moved to the Big Island, uh, January of 1990, and I remember... Um, oh, so this was only four months later. You're getting settled in, and less than four months later, the house burns you down. You go away now. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and it was very, it was just a, it was an all-around shock, right? Cause so, seven parents split mom and sister go back to Canada. I have no idea what is happening. Me and my dad go to Hawaii. I remember the day we landed, it was like an eight hour delay getting to Hawaii. And, um, when we landed, the luggage didn't come in. And I remember the feeling of the air and how heavy it was like that warm tropical air, which I now go back to. and I miss it. Right. It's, it's so familiar, but yeah, getting there. And then I was, you know, this little Howley girl. So, and I quickly learned what that meant going to, going to school and, you know, taunted and, and teased and told that I should die and go back to the mainland and stupid Howley, what the fuck are you doing here? You think you're smart. It was, it was also, I had to be leveled up in grade or to take like, had to, went to the advanced classes with like the other smart rejects. Um, uh, cause I was just, you know, it's like, that that was the reality and it was very uncomfortable and disorienting and so it's talking about where anxiety comes from and being afraid to speak up probably those things so all of that and then icing on the cake hey now your house is burning down or the lava is going to come you need to get out we had nowhere to go so we found this shelter it was um for women and children it was like a battered women's or whatever you, I don't know what you call it now. It sounds like not PC to say battered women's house. But um, yeah, so it was me and my dad. And it's like, can a man come? He, he was very good at um, storytelling and talking his way into it. And just saying, I am here with this little girl. We have nowhere to go. We just got here. And we got into that shelter and just, um, yeah, stayed in. There was like this big fence to close it down because there were strict hours to come in and out, you know, to protect the people who were there. And I don't remember exactly how long. We were a couple months that we were there before we found a, a basement to live in, which later flooded. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, this one, yeah, getting on, on welfare. And this, so this whole thing was so disorienting. It's like, what, what is stability? What is home? Um, what it, how what is comfort? Like, I'm very, again, grateful and fortunate. I had a father who... It, imagine if I had had a shitty, shitty parents in this situation, right? I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you. I'd be one of those people walking down the street. Um, but yeah, I'm glad it happened in a way because it showed me, it helped me develop a lot of empathy and compassion for people who are going through crazy hard shit. Uh, and kids who are affected by traumas they might not ever understand, or maybe if they're lucky, will when in their 20s or 30s or older and resilience that you can 
you can hurt and if you can, and that's okay. And you can rebuild. Yeah. And that really feeds into what you're doing now with, I think, taking that, that child's brain, because I mean, we're all that child's brain still that didn't get to do, I'm seven years old. I just want to live my seven year old life. (laughs) And you had to deal with flooding and lava and mean other kids and displacement and divorce and all of these things life's hard there's things that happen and uh and then we die so (laughs) might as well try to figure out how to create things that give you a sense of purpose and meaning and connection and um hope definitely well let's let's use that that note to go on a darker turn yay and we'll just we'll finish up with a couple of uh dark humor questions or something (laughs) let's figure this out um so you've had near-death experiences with with your house being lavaed (laughs) eating it yeah yes lava eating it what what is another near-death experience you've had and then the other part of the question is how do you think you'll die (laughs) (laughs) oh near-death experience Okay, the first thing that comes to mind, yeah, I'm definitely not sharing this with my parents, doing DMT. Mm-hmm. I did, it's not a near-death experience, but uh, I, it was after doing Party Time, the show that I ran for a couple years, a stand-up comedy and storytelling show. I did, I did not do stand-up comedy. I only hosted them, um, hoping that I would absorb some of their funny. And uh, yeah, so it's after one of them, I, and a good friend of mine, knew that I wanted to try it and he's like oh well, do you I have some you want to you want to go I'll guide you through it and I was like yeah let's go and uh yeah so I took some of this the whole thing lasts like 10 minutes or something Ooh, and uh, and he was like you can talk out the whole thing which was so amazing so if you do DMT make sure you're you feel safe with who you're with and highly recommend talking out your experience and starting with your eyes closed. Um, at least that was my experience. I've only done this once, but I remember, so I like close my eyes and it's like, holy shit, I'm flying through the universe with these weird geometric shapes and stars and dark and hard to describe things. And then I felt like I was kind of falling into a black hole where I was nothing and I didn't matter at all. And that was terrifying. Like, uh, oh my God, I don't, I don't matter. This is just like existential nothingness and this, this pit of despair and just like terror of like literally feeling like you fell off of a cliff and you, 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 you're like I didn't mean to do that um I didn't uh, take it back um and then so that felt I guess that's what people describe as like ego death you know and then it was hilarious to me that I didn't matter and nothing mattered and I was just laughing so hard I was crying I was like oh my god nothing matters (laughs) you know it's like this boo and I was like this is the greatest thing ever and uh yeah, and then opening my eyes and the whole world was melting and that was hilarious. And no, I did not see any elves or any of the the things that people say. But that, again, that was the first thing that came to mind because it was that absolute terror feeling of like, is this what 
death feels like or dying alone or you know it like facing a greatest the greatest fear that it's irrelevant in the hopeless way and that contrast or the other end of the spectrum where it comes full circle which is like yeah it doesn't matter and that's hilarious you know like I don't know um so that I guess is what comes to mind for near-death experience there's probably other things that are you know like getting getting thrashed around in the surf or learning how to surf and um, not finding which way was up and that was pretty terrifying but the one time I've done bodyboarding or boogie boarding or whatever I don't know the difference between them but it's how cool you are oh okay yeah. great well which is the less cool one we that's... say we say bodyboard when i was growing up in hawaii anyway i don't know if it's a different in different surf cultures but we said bodyboarding we hated the word boogie boarding and we hated like sponging also people call you a sponger which is kind of an insult it's like get up and stand on your board you stupid sponger oh, wow. so bodyboarding felt cooler that's okay. what mike stewart was a bodyboarder not a boogie boarder. Yes. He's, he's just really great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try to be cool and bodyboard. <laughs> but you were saying... They're the same thing, though, ultimately. Great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you're saying that not knowing what direction is up. Yeah. Honestly, one of the coolest feelings that I've ever experienced is getting just swallowed by a giant wave and mm-hmm. getting just knocked around on the floor of the ocean and... Sandy. Sandy bottom. Sandy bottom. It's good. And just not knowing when you're going to come up or if you're going to come up. And you enjoyed this? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to do DMT. That's it. That's the experience. (laughs) Right. I guess it's that loss of control and that this is the end. I might not come up from this. Yeah. I I don't have a death wish. I I just, (laughs) it's when you find yourself in that, it's terrifying. And then also maybe it's, it's the coming that you do get to come up from it and get some air that is just such a rush that you're like, no, I'm alive. I'm okay. Yeah, and when you hit the bottom, you know where it is. Yeah, you know, like you know where the opposite is. So, like for the the first time, I remember being thrashed around. I couldn't. T- I wasn't. I was like, where am I? It was. Um, it was in Honolulu, and I was like thrashing around, and I couldn't. I really didn't know which way was up and which way was down, and I was trying to like find my leash, and I think I had come disconnected, and uh, then I like hit the reef, and I was like, oh, thank God, because now I know which way down is. Mm-hmm. But before you're just like so disoriented and like you the, you can thrash and try to fight it like uh, like fighting against a riptide. The only solution is just relax into it. Right. You know, like that uh, relaxed readiness and improv. Yes. You just that's your that's how you you can be terrified, but also like learning how to relax into that and going, I'll figure it out or I die. And either way, I guess that's all she wrote. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that loss of control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not how you think you'll die, but how would you want to some ridiculous scenario or, and I'll give you an example. Cause this is the, my, my go-to for years. You've seen the movie Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Remember they blow up the asteroid at one point, like halfway through the movie. Cause they're like, Oh, if we just put it, you know, if we shoot a nuke at it, it'll explode <laughs> problem solved. And it just shatters it into a million pieces. Right. And then there's the shot of like, I don't know, New York city or something skyline. And there's just little rocks like rocketing into the city and just taking out buildings and stuff. Yeah. Great. Don't so, want to miss a thing. Exactly. Yeah. I have thought, what if I, if I knew if you had, if I had 24 hours, if somebody was like, you got 24 hours to live, live it up. And then you can just stop existing at the end of the 24 hours, or you can take <laughs> matters into your own hand. I've thought what I would like to do is get a, like a squirrel suit, get in a plane, jump out 
of said plane with said squirrel suit just rocket straight towards the ground <laughs> or towards a building. There would be nobody <laughs> in it. Yeah. It would be, you know, it'd be cleared out and I would have perfect aim. I would hit that building, but maybe even light myself on fire as I went down. So wow. it would just be this like flying straight down, hit a building, see what happens. Maybe somebody would get some scientific information. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's just a burning suicide squirrel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so that said, do you have a, a ridiculous scenario in which you cease to be? A cat looks at me and takes my breath away and I'm dead. Like there used to be this rumor <laughs> that that cats steal baby breath. Mm-hmm. Or like they're suffocating babies. I don't want to suffocate. I just want to like cease to expire and respire. Like it's just done. Yeah. And there's no like my ideal death. There's just no discomfort. Yours is way more exciting. Um, I, the other thing is that you were talking about the end of the world. It's like that's kind of a nice way to go where everyone is just out at the same as so long as everyone dies because you don't want to be like you know maimed and screaming and bloody murder and literally everyone else is dead that would suck but if everyone's going at the same time it's kind of there's some like sweet poetry to that you know if dinosaurs could come back and one could just swallow me whole and but i'm in a suit like a spacesuit like i can breathe inside of there okay so i'm seeing the inside of the dinosaur and then it goes for a swim and it shits me out. So I'm in the ocean and there's just like ancient dinosaurs and I'm going back in time as it happens. So I'm like seeing how everything started until all unravels and I'm back at the Big Bang and poof, I cease to be. Ooh, so you're going in reverse. Yeah, I want that. That's amazing. I love it. So I just have to ask a clarifying question about the dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> Uh, are you being repeatedly ate and shat out? And when that happens, do you go back in time a little bit further yeah, each I guess time? That's the that's the cost. Is like I have to be eaten and shat out progressively, but then it gets smaller. So I guess I'm shrinking as it happens. So I'm in the biggest dinosaur, and then as like life goes back in time, I suppose if you're in like the tiny little crawly amoeba thingies, um, science. Uh, then, then I'm like, sh- like, honey, I shrunk the kids smaller and smaller, and smaller until I'm in the like tiny little m- microcosm part of it, of an atom in the big bang. Until Dust. you're the, you're the final atom that yeah. disappears. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The singularity. Yeah. Then it starts all over again. Wow. <laughs> Are we still friends? I guess only time will tell. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to our friend Jocelyn for sitting down with me today. If you want to become better friends with Jocelyn, check out our YouTube series, Tiny Tips. You can also find information on our brain coaching services by visiting scribestorystudios.com. Are We Still Friends is produced and edited by me, Kyle Coleman. Music provided by friend Jack Martin. Visit arewestillfriends.com to find more interviews with your favorite or new friends.